1: I'm Samuel Mann in Soyers Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Whakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera.
0: Kia Sam. How's it going?
1: It's going very well indeed. How is the run-up to Christmas going for you?
0: Oh, it's a bit chaotic. Um, but do you know, I was just out in my garden before and my corn is flowering. So I, I planted corn in my planter boxes and I planted corn in the ground on the same day. So the corn that's in the planter boxes is now taller than me and flowering, and the ones that are in the ground are about a foot tall. So I'm just loving this time of year and the sunshine and the rain and life, really.
1: And you've been getting about?
0: Yeah, been everywhere. I've been everywhere, man. (laughs) Someone should write a song about that.
1: They should. They could put all of the names of the places where you've been in.
0: Now you're thinking...
1: And who are we introducing today?
0: It is my great pleasure to introduce Tim Lynch, who I was having an awesome conversation with before we started recording. Um, So hopefully we'll be able to pick up some of that. Tim is a lecturer in food design at Otago Polytechnic, which is Tepukinga, and soon to be student of the Doctorate of Professional Practice, which, of course, um, I just finished mine, as our listeners will know, and Sam is a facilitator for. So welcome, Tim, oh, and designer for too, really. <laughs> hey, <laughs> welcome, Tim. Thank you for
2: joining us today. No, it's uh, it's my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Is this is this about your four hundredth episode? Is that right? Four hundred and fifty sixth. Four hundred and fifty sixth. What an astonishing period of time to record uh, and look over. I, I have to ask, have you guys got any standouts from that four hundred and fifty sixth episode? Have you got any that you go, you, you stood back from, when you went. Wow, that was astonishing. What, what an insight. What a what a remarkable thing to be part of.
1: I learned a thing to say the other day is that you can't expect people to, to pick a favourite. It's like expecting someone to pick a favourite child. That said, <laughs> Mawera's friend, Tui Shortland.
0: Yep. No, Tui, Tui from down the coast. What yeah. is her last name? Yes,
1: Tui. Is one of the standouts for me. Mm. Um just on the the way that she had such a positive attitude that she was engaging she works as a kai ora facilitator kai. for the school yeah. and she um she takes she takes families out into the bush and and teaches them how to hunt for food Wow um Amazing. and so it's about a family bonding but also about um, that, you know, uh, the worst case is at the end of the day they've got a freezer full of food, which is going yes. to improve those kids' lives. Yeah. And-, and there's a whole lot of whole lot of stuff
2: sitting around there, society, cultural, a whole lot of things in there that make that sort of quite a rich, deep, meaningful experience. How about you, Maria? Have you got any that stand out for you?
0: Um, yep, I do. There's, um, there's one, i just uh, let you know, so um, Tui Keenan and her episode was called Hunter Gatherer Bubbles. And so they she actually teaches the kids how to grow their own kai, and then the families come in and preserve the kai in school so they get they get their meat, they mince their meat, they make sausages they uh grow their own vegetables, they preserve their veggies. it's just a really remarkable thing, and she's teaching that inside a school. So um, wow. we quite early on interviewed Michelle Court, who is a, a really beautiful, wonderful comedian, entertainer, facilitator, uh, New Zealand-based, living in Auckland. And um, I'd met her um, – she actually wrote a chapter of her book about me years ago, so I met her. And uh, when we asked her for an interview, she said, well, what am I going to talk about? But she it was the most extraordinary conversation that she – Gave a quote that um, wasn't hers, and she she gave the uh, she attributed it to the right person. I don't recall who that was now off the top of my head, which is that activism is the rent that I pay for living on the planet, <laughs> and and I it really just got me right in my heart because I thought actually damn right it is. We oh, we have this privilege of living here on this incredible planet, and we have a a duty of the activism. In
2: the areas where we have strength. Yes, to, mich- to make Michelle. Michelle, Michelle is a she is a remarkable individual. I, I know Michelle well. I'm good friends with her husband. In fact, I'll come back to her husband, Jeremy, uh, with some of the song choices um, later on. But yeah, she is a, a remarkable individual, and as far as like I find sometimes quite humbling to be around. As far as the achievements that she's she's come to. Anyway, that's yeah, that's interesting. It is incredible. These thing about Janine, which is amazing, is particularly for my world, which is coming from a background of food and teaching food, and you know, food is something which has allowed me to travel around the world, it's allowed me to meet people, engage with cultures, become part of things, environments, worlds that I would never have an insight to unless I'd been part of food, is that we have these incredible food heroes in Dunedin that are quietly going about doing amazing, remarkable work, right then from community gardens through to um, Tui, who you described before. Uh, and in some ways, I find Dunedin we're at, that, we're at the right size to allow that to happen. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of we're at that tipping point that if we were any larger, a lot of the stuff would have to be kind of corporatized and would have to be monetized in some way. Um, but we're small enough that there's still enough kind of local passion to allow it to happen at a community level, rather than at a governmental level. So yeah, there is some incredible stuff going on about food. Uh, also, we're incredibly lucky that we're surrounded by it. I mean, I love fishing. I, I you know, this my my great pleasure in, in the world is, is being able to go to go fishing. Um, and because of the the appalling weather we have down here, I, I say that in quotes, air quotes, <laughs> the appalling weather, is that we have abundant fish stocks all the way around our coast because commercial guys can't get out there. We're not like if we having to go into the Haraki Gulf. Um, and in fact, if you even if you go a bit further up the coast, it's not that change in weather is is changed the kind of the notion of fishing and recreational fishing and they're at a governmental level it's now having to be protected. Whereas in Dunedin, we we still have Otaku Murai uh, as custodial guardians of the better part of the harbour. So we're still able to do it at a local level, which makes us really quite special
1: and unique, I think. So Tim, I do need to ask the standard set of questions, at least to start with. Where are you, Tim?
2: Ah, I'm actually at work. I'm, an, I'm at, uh, on the Polytech campus at the moment. Um, so we, we, we're at that period of the time where it, it's a funny thing being an educator. You get to a certain period of the, of the year and you go – yeah, it's finished, but you're not. You, you, you've got a, a, a huge <laughs> amount of work ahead of you. But the thing that's different about this time of the year normally is that everyone's very, very tired. It's been a long year. It's been a long yeah, year everyone's very tired. Um, and I, I don't for a second mean that just sound like a woe is me situation at all but it, it just is and it's a an observation that i made in the shop and i said oh it's been a long year and the lady just replied it's been a long two and a half years and i thought that's probably a more accurate <laughs> s- of it. so no i'm just at work um stealing one of the empty classrooms at the moment snuck into the corner um i sort of bolted at him a bit sweaty because i had to drop off the car to get fixed so we're going away down to the fuel and go tramping for a few days with the family to try and avoid the the christmas craziness as it starts to starts to ramp up so I know that's where I am. Nothing too exciting on that one, I'm afraid. Where are you going tramping? Uh, we're going to do the Kepler. It's um, Last time we tried to do it with my son, he's he's 10. Um, we couldn't get over the tops because it was too windy, and he was very dark about that. He was not, and as as you are in a 10-year-old, and you, you just cannot for the life of yourself figure out. We were sort of allated a little bit by four very experienced walkers trying to get up over the tops, and they, they couldn't make it. So it felt it felt better. But it's uh, that the Kepler track itself, I mean, I've run it three times as part of the, the Kepler Challenge that they have each year. I've done the Grunt, which is up to Mount Luxmore and back, and this will be the second time trying to walk it with my son. So it's a pretty spectacular, amazing part of New Zealand. South Westland is just astonishing. It's an absolutely incredible part of the world. And the opportunity to sort of share that um, with family and with people from around the world is a pretty special way to spend a few
1: days of your life, I think. We were there this time last year with my parents. So that was it was pretty cool being on the tops. We got to the top. Um, <laughs> it, it, is, it is worth doing. Those tops are spectacular.
2: If you get a chance to go on YouTube, there's a, a fantastic um, – clip of a it's a young guy and he's gone out there and he's put his uh, GoPro down and Iea steals it and flies off with it while it's still running and it's the most spectacular footage you'll ever see I mean they they retrieved obviously but it is it's just
1: fantastic and it really shows the character of uh, of the birds let's take the first of your music choices let's have back Satan made me a taco yeah why this one
2: all right so as part of the collective experience of um of the lockdowns which we all had one of the great things that came out of us was was music and sharing music but also putting these groups together and so a friend of mine jeremy um, michelle court's husband he had a group that we're all part of with people from all around the world now about two and a half decades ago I was sitting in Jeremy's flat and we may or may not have partaken in various substances at the moment, which may alter the memory, but he was playing this amazing song and for the life of me, I couldn't remember it. All I could remember was one line out of it, which was the next thing I remember, I was staring at the Marshall Stacks. So for two and a half decades as I walked around the world, because I'm an avid music listener and I, I love going to secondary music stores, I spent two and a half decades going to music stores asking people what this song was until, as part of the conversation we're having, one of the guys was actually in Sweden, I think it was and I said, does anybody know this song? All I can remember is the lyrics, the next thing I remember, I was staring at the Marshall Stacks, and he popped back about 10 seconds later and said, it's big, saying, made me a taco. And that was the end of a two-and-a-half-year-old <laughs> earworm, which was a little bit like have tinnitus for that long. It was an astonishing, relieving thing. And I tell you, global pandemics aside, the general displeasure of everything that occurred, it was probably worthwhile for me just to get that <laughs>
3: Satan gave me a taco and it made me really sick The chicken was all raw and the grease was mighty thick The rice was all rancid and the beans were so hard I was getting kinda dizzy, eating all the lard There was aphids on the lettuce and I ate every one And after I was done the salsa melted off my tongue pieces of tortilla got stuck in my throat And the stains on my clothes burned a hole through my coat My stomach was trembling and I broke out in a rash I was so dry and thirsty and I didn't have no cash So I went and found a hose Tore off all my clothes Turned on the water shot right up my nose some old lady came along and she thought I was a freak so she beat me with my handbag till I could hardly speak I was lying there naked my body badly bruised in a hole of my own blood unconscious and confused when the cops came and got me and threw me in their van, and I woke up on the ceiling and I couldn't find my hand, they took me to the judge. His eyes are glowing red. The courtroom was filled with witches and the dead. When the sheriff was a hellhound with fangs and claws. The prisoners were tied up and chained to the walls. The air was getting thick, and the smoke was getting thicker. The judge read the verdict, said, Cut off his head." When they placed me on the altar, and he raised up the axe. My head was about to explode when I noticed the martial stacks. I noticed all the smoke machines, the cameras and the lights Some guy with a microphone running around dancing in tights. And I noticed the crew and the band playing down below And I realized I was in a rock video So I went and joined the band And then I went out on tour and I smoked a lot of and then I passed out in the nude. I made out with the groupies, started fires backstage.
0: I'm a foodie to my core. I love food, and I know where my love of food came from. Where did your love of food come from?
2: Yeah. It's funny. If you if you actually if you look through my plunket box from when I'm a baby, one of the first notes that they made about me is that uh, he loves his food. Uh, <laughs> at that age, and one of my friends, he's, he runs the Community Law Centre in, in Auckland, He's, he's, he he likes to tell the, the story about his friend that um, used to talk to his sandwiches at lunchtime that went on to become a chef. Uh, so the, I think the love of food, in some ways, has is, is always been there. My mother was an astonishing cook. Um, my brother describes it very well in that we were, um, we were fed very well, but we were always hungry. Uh, and I think of, of that particular generation, that'll that'll resonate with a lot of people. Um, My sort of one of the earliest memories of my mother's cooking actually was when she came back from um, Sydney and she'd gone there to see Boy George and she came back with this thing called a pasta roller and started making fresh pasta to make lasagnas with. Uh, And and that was remarkable to me because I saw the effect and the power that food has as a conversation, as, as a way to create community, as a way to bring people together, to draw people together, aside from it, just the nutritional component of it. Um, so that's where it sort of started with me. So I, I always enjoyed food, I always enjoyed eating it uh, and so when I was at school I'd start as a kitchen porter I worked in, in this place in the Octagon called Willoughby's and I used to wash dishes there um, on the weekends and that was a bit of an eye opener to the, the, the kind of Commercial realities of cooking in, the, in a restaurant and what that looked like um, at that stage. You know, there was no proliferation of soft-focused, um, Instagrammable photos that we see at the moment surrounding food. It was it was much more gritty, much more real. Um, There was this one particular chef, Marco Pierre White, he released a a cookbook called White Heat, which is quite famous because it uh, really captured and portrayed the realities of what it was like working in a commercial kitchen at that particular time. Uh, But what it also showed me is the way the chefs were able to communicate um, and the way food is a way to reach out to people. I've had many occasions where I've been disengaged Talking to someone and, and they have said, look, I can't remember your name, but I can remember the meal that you cooked for me 15 years ago, uh, and that's quite a common thing. Um, this guy, Freya adria he used to call it the sixth sense, which is that kind of the emotional component to food and the way that way that it works. So it's one of the few one of the few products that you, that you can work with, which is engaging every sense of the human body, including nostalgia. We can't eat a painting, we can't lick it, we can't we can't touch it, it's not tactile uh, or sculpture. If it is tactile, you, you, you can't get that sense of nostalgia from it. With food, uh, it's an incredible product, it's an incredible thing to work with. So from there, it took me to Europe and I spent the better part of a decade working around Europe um, before returning to New Zealand. And that was really as far as my, my craft goes, and we talk a lot about craft, um, in at, at, uh, classes here, but the, it was the tradition uh, that it worked that, that I saw there, particularly the sort of the French tradition, uh, the European tradition of food. But then within that, it was the guys that I was working with. It was the Sudanese refugees. It was uh, it was the stories that came with it. it was uh, it was the ability to be part of and entwined within a really uh, strong community of people that came from different backgrounds and it was it's very unique in that respect working in a commercial kitchen in europe often english is the second language you have to find ways to communicate with others you have to find ways so they can communicate with you and you look out for each other uh there's a there's a there's a sense of camaraderie there's a sense of bonding there because it's a very difficult job it's very hard it's very uncomfortable um, the the conditions aren't perfect often um, and so you do you look out for each other um, in a way that you you won't get in a lot of other in a lot of other careers um, so that was a bit of an eye that was astonishing and that I sort of ate my way around Europe for you know the better part of a decade worked in many continents before returning to new zealand um and then when i got back to new zealand it was a case of well, what what does all this stuff actually mean in real terms what is what is this notion of food what is this notion of community what is this notion of well-being you know if we if we were to look at a lot of the societal issues we have in new zealand at the moment some of them can actually basically be solved by food um, and if you start looking at the bigger geopolitical conflicts which are happening, a lot of them is around food security and maintaining those the food security. China, for instance, has been very forthright, saying that we are more interested in having Businesses or the or the raw producers of products than purchasing it, and they've been pretty upfront about that. So th- this is driving some wider conversations within New Zealand at the moment, and in COVID once again, in the hospitality sector is is forcing that conversation even further along the road, and that it's ma- making us evaluate what is hospitality. Uh, what is Manakitanga? what what do these terms mean in a new zealand context what do they mean in a, in a localized regional context the two best meals i've ever eaten both of them cost less than ten dollars so it's got nothing to do with a kind of transactional uh, transactional systems it's got nothing to do with that it's it's about us being able to show showcase explain who we are as a people, as a nation, um, what is unique about us, what it is, what is it that brings us to a tourist. We, we no longer have to sort of hide in the shadows of French cuisine and, and believe that that is what a restaurant looks like. We, we should be comfortable enough in, in the, the likes of the Kaikoura Barbecue, who are literally at a barbecue beside the beach. That is what we are about. We don't need to have the 500 three-count sheets. You know, because what we're selling, what we have is so unique and so special, we need to sort of sort of start stepping away from a lot of those those things. Um, and so that's really where I'm at at the moment with, with food. And that's where the sort of the the, the food journey has sort of taken me. And, and I guess in a lot of ways, that's where my doctoral studies will take off from is, you know, a further exploration of those conversations and where that can go and what that looks like. So that's probably a rather long-winded explanation to a simple question.
0: No, that's super exciting. When you're teaching food, so I'll give, I'll, I've, I think about this a lot. So I've got a 13-year-old, Jack, and he has grown up with me baking his whole life because I love to cook, so I bake all the time. And he um, had then started being a baker himself. Now, I cake, I make and good cake But his cake is next level amazing because he's got this touch, this, this intuitive, this beautiful, intuitive approach to cooking that I can't replicate. Is that a teachable thing? Can we teach kids that softness of touch, that, that intuitive knowing when it comes to food?
2: It's a it's an interesting question. I um actually I, over lockdown I had a, a net out and I was uh, getting some fish. Um and I was throwing some back with my son and I was I was throwing back the smaller ones because the, the way that I like to do it with the net is I like to get them while they're still alive. So you can do that and they are off and that's fine. Um, my son, though this was a you know, quarter year and a half, he was an eight or time, I think. Um I said, Oh no, James, that one's too small. We're gonna put that one back to Tahara, that's his And 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 James said, "But why?" And I said, "Because he's too small." And and at the age of eight, he stopped and he paused and he thought, "He well." And he then he said, "We, but Dad, I suppose Tohara gives us a lot, doesn't he?" And I said, "Yeah, he does. He gives us an awful lot." And that's that softness of touch that you, t- that I think you're talking about, is a, a, a sort of empathy or like a, or a response to the medium, the product that you're working with. And it's the same whether you're with a, working with a paintbrush or whether you're working with um, a piece of clay or you're working with flour. Uh, it's an, an empathy and an understanding for how the medium that you're working with responds to you and the environment. And so, as far as teaching that. You, you can't teach it, but you, you can certainly encourage it and you can identify it and you can show it. Um, we are very lucky. We have incredible students, like astonishing students, the students uh, that, that come up with ideas so far beyond the realm of my boring, white, middle-class New Zealand brain. Right. Um, they think in different ways. They, they, they think in completely different ways. We had one particular group of students, we do a... Um, we do an enterprise paper, um, which is based around using waste stream products. Um, so, this particular waste stream product came from a, the spent grain from the brewing process from a, a, a rather large multinational um, brewery. And they came up with a way to make it into, into bar snacks, effectively. Um, and they, they bound it and extruded it, and they put it through a few different processes, <clears throat> and it was fantastic. And, and the brewery's head office said, this is amazing, we want this. We want to put this in every single one of our outlets, uh, to begin with in New Zealand and globally. And the students said, yeah, but it's using soy flour. We don't want to do it. We can't, we can't be a part of a system or a product which is using soy flour. So they turned it down. And it's that sense of empathy and belonging, as uh, that sense of uh, actually being part of the environment and not removed from it. I mean, it's one thing that these kind of the collective experience of lockdowns has, has has shown us is that you know we are part of the environment, we we are ingrained in it, and it's it's a very Eurocentric kind of view to believe this idea that we're separated from it. And there's some incredible documentaries which showcase. The effects on the natural world when we as humans have actually kind of stood stood back from it uh, and allowed to go on. So for these students, you know, they they looked at that, and you, on one hand, you go, "This is the golden, this is the goose that laid the golden egg. This is your 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 ticket, and you intentionally turn it down." But they were not able to reconcile that. So that's a, that sort of subtlety and, and empathy. And no, you can't teach it, but you can you can encourage it. You can you can nurture
4: it.
0: Bubble
4: sprite of the forest of the Deneen's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora namahi arohanui kia koutou ka I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day, who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here, making things better. Thank you. Now, I know that for us all, the last more than two and a half years have been very tough, and we've had to do so much every day, we've had to call upon so many inner resources constantly to navigate so many new and challenging realities and for us all I feel we are in a period of recovery and recalibration and processing. And It's so important that we give to ourselves and each other the love, the support, the compassion, the understanding that we all so richly deserve and can innately provide. I'm speaking to you now from the beautiful St. Clair Beach the waves are coming in, the most beautiful colours of blue and green, and the sunlight sparkling on the water, the bull kelp swirling, coalescing, dancing, in the waves. And it's just so beautiful. I feel so lucky. Many seagulls flying around, some landing on the car, people walking past, enjoying the sun, People swimming in the sea, people surfing, people relishing their time. A sense of freedom, a sense of togetherness, a sense of oneness, a sense of connection to the living world, to the song of the sea. It's beautiful. And I've been in the process of recovery from long COVID, which has been very interesting. And part of this recovery process at the moment is heading to the hot salt water pool every day and doing my 40 lengths as my beautiful grandmother Shirley Mackenzie used to do and really enjoying all those sensations that come with being in the water and with swimming something I've wanted to do for a long time and I'm really grateful that I'm having the opportunity to do it now so I really hope for you whatever has shifted and changed around you in this time That you're having the opportunity to really enjoy new things and new approaches. That as much as things have been mixed up, now as they're coming to settle again in new configurations, I hope that there's lots for you to enjoy. At the moment there's a very large group of beautiful school children at the pool, so I'm taking the opportunity to enjoy this time with the sea. And enjoying hearing all their whoops and yells and shrieks of joy coming towards me from the pool. But I'm not going to join them at this time. And I'm taking the opportunity to reorganise my mightily courageous chariot, Royal Pearl, my beautiful car. Who, of course, has had many adventures over the years and is a real treasure repository so I'm reorganizing all the treasure Some of the treasure can be set free And returned to the universe And some, some can stay within the mighty chariot Some can be released into the mansion. So it's a really great time So I really hope for you Even if things are not going according to plan You're able to find ways to use your time That's really supportive and nourishing to you Also enjoying the opportunity to speak to my beautiful mother over in the UK, hear about how everything is for her in the depths of winter, as here I am applying sunscreen, the height of summer, watching the beautiful fairy terns fly about, to nest on the cliffs, one of the only places in the world, feeling very fortunate, feeling very fortunate to be part of this show. So a huge thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team for having me. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Ka kite.
1: You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Tim
0: Lynch. Tim, when we, um, we're we talking about that softness of touch and, and the ways that that can manifest in life and practice, and it, and I think about the the global situation at the moment, things that are happening around climate change, and it strikes me that that soft that soft tread through life, not uh, leaving a big mark on the planet, um, doing no harm. These are all uh, ideas that tie into that. So can we take that that natural way of being in the kitchen and other areas of practice and and introduce that into thinking in this next generation that's coming after us to help them to be more effective in climate change spaces?
2: I am overwhelmingly positive with the next generation. Um, I, you know, there's, there's this kind of rhetoric that, that goes along the line, along the lines of buttercup generation. and In my day, I used to have to walk five miles to school in the snow with holes in my shoes. And there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of rhetoric that comes along that, the reality is the complexity of the world that this generation are operating in is is immense. And I'm overwhelmingly positive when I see the way that they are able to negotiate the ways through this this world and, and what it looks like and how it is. I think the way that... Um, we try to teach here what what we try to teach and which is very much based around values um first year of the well, the second year of the grade is very much around externalized values the values out there and then the third year is solely about their own personal values and the chance for the students to start uh, unpacking unpacking their own personal values um in a lot of ways, if you think of the kitchen as like the as, as, as an extension of your of the of your, your of your personal psyche, in some ways, the way that you operate in the kitchen and, and the choices that you make there uh, represent who you are. I mean, and, and when, when I say that? What I'm saying is that if, if you want to make a political statement. You have to find a platform. You have to you have to get a megaphone. You have to get a poster. You have to push it out there. Your own political statements three times a day by choosing what you eat. It's an extension of who you are, and and it's one way of showing the world what you are, you know, and and who you are. Uh, I'm proudly agnostic when it comes to food. I'll eat pretty much anything, but I try to have an understanding of what it is, the effects of my. Consumptions and my patterns of consumptions are having on the on the broader economic systems and ecological systems. One of the things we're having at the moment is we're having to really evaluate the true cost, the true value of a lot of foods. People are balking at five dollars for a cup of coffee. Well, if we start unpacking that cup of coffee, and you start considering the the, the growers the transporters, the people that make the cut, the power, the, the landlords, the wages, and you start adding all these things up, suddenly $5 seems pretty cheap. And I consider 10 will probably be closer to the true cost of what an actual cup of coffee looks like. As a society, we have to decide, I'll be willing to pay that. And that's where the sort of economic tensions start to come in, surrounding things like food. Um, and when I talk about This this notion of we're sort of environmentally subsidising things. In some ways, we are. There's an ecological subsidy, which is coming with a lot of our food production systems at the moment, that we are now only just starting to address and starting to look at. And I don't mean that to be negative. I mean that in an incredibly positive way. Uh, even the largest food producers in New Zealand uh, are looking at ways that they can reduce their footprint, that they can start uh, minimising the effects that they are having. Now, this is massively controversial, but some of the some of the guys that we deal with, some of the the, um, the farmers, uh, it used to be, you know, the organic farmers were the outliers. Well, now one of the farmers we work with, Providence Lamb, and I don't mean to name drop there, but the reason I say this is this is. Um, the david cruxley was walking around his farm and this is a very pragmatic straight down the middle farmer and he looked around his farm and he he realized if i keep putting these agrichems on the farm in the way that i'm at the moment i'll have nothing to pass on to my children so he, he changed to a completely regenerative system and you can walk along his fence line and on one side it's brown and on the other side it's green and he doesn't irrigate and he's got the green side of the fence The neighbours thought he was mad. Uh, His expansion model was not to buy the next door neighbours farm. His expansion model was to show other farmers how they can farm regeneratively so they can see the role that the grazing animals play in the farming systems and so that they become part of it. So lo and behold, suddenly this thing called COVID comes along and they've got a super premium brand. They're well-placed for export. They're able to start charging what I believe is an appropriate and fair amount when you consider the ecological inputs that are happening for that for their product in that case lamb so that's positive that's a that's a massively positive step um, if we start even looking um, another local producer the havoc pork farmers I mean they're incredible they 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 have a world-class product that they put forward and we are able to access it at the supermarkets here so these choices that we make uh, in our uh, in our day-to-day consumption of food do have other far-reaching consequences um, and the hope is and I see it with this generation that they're coming through and the guys that we teach is that they understand those connections they see that connection it's not it's not this mystical foreign thing which a prep used to be it's not like the 60s when vegetarianism was a was was a fringe element you know 60 percent of New Zealanders now consider themselves to be meat reduced. That's an astonishingly positive statistic to have. Um, if you start looking at the way, if you can walk into the supermarket, you can buy convenience vegan products. The, the ecological footprint on them is, is, is lighter. Yes, there's a lot of arguments surrounding transparency of supply lines, and we could debate that as well. But the fact that we can access it is a positive thing. So yeah, I think this kind of tread lightly notion, starting from the kitchen, is in some ways just the simplest place to start. It's the simplest place to, to make a statement
1: of who you are and who you want to be as a person. I'm going to squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have Hot 8 Brass Band, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Why this one?
2: Uh, well, this once again, this comes back to the COVID lockdown and we... One of the amazing things that happened COVID lockdown for me was music. Uh, I'm, I am a music fan, but suddenly we had world-class DJs doing DJ sets in their bedrooms. We had, um, and amongst this kind of cancel culture, if you will, one of the things that they got replaced with, uh, which Jeremy put me onto as well, was a lot of the um, radio stations in New Orleans started doing um, live to your broadcasts. Uh, and because the New Orleans Jazz Festival had to be cancelled, they ran basically a best of, which went for an entire day and was a best of every New Orleans Jazz Festival that had been around. Um, another one which I got to the pleasure to listen to was one of only two recordings of um, John Coltrane, A Love Supreme, in its entirety from start to finish. And that was an astonishing thing to listen to. It was at the end of it, I felt like I had... Um, post-traumatic stress disorder. I I don't I couldn't understand what had been played, but I understood how it made me feel. And so all of this sort of brought me back to this idea of what it was like going to these large festivals. And I saw the Hot 8 Brass Band play, and they were amazing, they were astonishing. But the best part of it was afterwards they were doing a cooking demonstration, and they had big boys, they had big units, and they were all having <laughs> this argument while they made gumbo. And... Of all the things I've never been able to taste, but I would love to have, I dearly wanted to taste that gumbo that the Hot 8 Brass Band made.
1: up a storm for christmas or is cooking for the family not something that you you do is that like is that a work thing and you don't do it uh yeah there's a tension there's no
2: doubt that i i I basically i had a tanti one year um i'll be honest about it um and i threw my toys and i said i'm not eating this stuff anymore my christmas present is going i'm going to cook for you guys i'm going to cook for the family and they said okay that's great too let's do that and so I did, and it cost me a fortune. So the next year I said, <laughs> OK, look, we're going to put a new rule in this. I'm going to cook for everything, but everything that we put on the table has to either be collected ourselves or caught or hunted. We can't – I'm not buying into this. We're not going to go buy stuff. There has to be exchange. And and the first time we did that, it worked beautifully. It was fantastic. Um, the next year – I don't know, have you heard the, have you heard the term um, jumping the shark? It's uh, it refers to mm-hmm. when Fonzie on Happy Days jumps a shark on his motorbike and it's where the it's where they pushed the episode too far. Well this particular Christmas, the next one, I pushed it too far um because I managed to get some goat. Um so I made a a a goat mole, which if if anyone's unfamiliar, it's a it's a chocolate sauce and I made flatbreads and we had goat mole and flatbreads for, for Christmas. <laughs> it didn't go down so well with the family. <laughs> like, that was, there was a clear division in the family of those who wanted chocolate mole for Christmas and those that did not. So, yeah, I do now, but my, my input has been reduced somewhat. So I'll be making a, um, a porchetta, for which is a... I'm going to get the scotch fillet of pork, and I'm going to roll it around in a, the belly, um, and I'll marinate it in some spices, etc. And I'm going to leave that for about three days marinating. And then I'm going to tie it and I'll cook it for about nine hours so that there's a perfectly even cook all the way through. So that the center is like the, like the ribeye of the pork surrounded by the belly. And that's all rendered out. Then I'm going to put it on an scorchingly hot barbecue to get the crackling happening on the outside of it. And then I'll put it here with a salsa verde or an uh, infused olive oil. Uh, and then the best part of that
1: will be the next day in sandwiches. And if M- Mawera was there, she would enjoy smelling it.
0: I would. And the goat, um, I Jack and I just shot three goats in Gisborne on the weekend, brought them home, cut them up, minced most of it, cooked some legs, put that meat in the freezer for pies later. Um, I love goats, so I will take the mole any day of the week. If you want to come up to Fakatani <laughs> and cook that, I would welcome you.
2: we'll is, it most,
0: trade goat recipes.
2: Well, it's the most widely eaten meat in the world, which makes perfect sense. They're, they're everywhere. Um, I mean, a goat's incredible. If you think a goat can convert gorse into milk, what an astonishing creature that can do that. Um, I sort of need a couple
1: from up the back of our place because it's all getting a little bit out of control there. <laughs> I have some questions to end the show and not very much time. So we're going to have to wriggle. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, gee, Sam.
2: <laughs> a, I mean, I'm, I'm obliged to say children, aren't I? That's, a, um, you know, I've got, I've got a, a family. Yeah, that's the rule. Yeah. That's right. That are, that are, that are sort of moving. Um, Oh, that I've
1: got to! Um, that I'm, I'm, I'm still a fairly healthy individual. I'd say that would be my one. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower?
2: I suppose it would have to be something to do with food, really, wouldn't it? That I can, I can, I can, I can cook nutritious meals based on very little. Um, I saw this fantastic Jamie Oliver interview. He just did a book on called Nonnas on the Grandmas, and he said, look, it doesn't matter what question you have surrounding sustainability, these guys have figured it out. Um, they, can, they can feed a family with chickpeas.
1: Um, so that will be my superhero, my power. I was going to say that you can not just cook, but you can relate it to perhaps obscure concepts such as regeneration, but, but maybe you're right. Maybe the grandmothers have been doing that all along. They've 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 figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be an activist?
2: Uh, my daughter likes to call me Comrade Tim, so I, I suppose in, in some respects maybe I am, but just on the quiet side of it. I also have a, a, a great affection for um, cars, so there's a there's an inherent tension there between me wanting to ride my motorbike and um, understanding the consequences of it.
1: What did you do to your daughter that she calls your comrade Tim? Oh, I did you make a share something?
2: <laughs> no, that's right. No, occasionally occasionally, I, I may get on a, on a rant about something at some stage about collectivists versus
1: individualism, and usually it's still a stacking firewood or something along those <laughs> lines. <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? And what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to? in the next year or so? Uh,
2: well, my studies, really. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to really investigating and critically evaluating my role within the food ecosystem and what that can look like in the future. I'm really looking forward to really critically evaluating the role that hospitality plays in a, in a Net zero carbon economy. I'm really in, looking forward to trying to examine critically what it is that the culture of New Zealand, who are we? You know, who are we? This incredible island down most of the way down to the South Pole, surrounded by water. What an incredible opportunity! What I mean, I saw, um, uh, I was at a conference where I saw, um, a chef demonstrating, and he said, being born in New Zealand is a bit like being winning lotto. And I thought that's about the best description
1: I've, I've heard of it. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, eat
2: food. Happily. Eat more green
1: stuff than meat. And avoid the green meat. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> Moera,
0: it has been a joy to talk to you today. Thank you for the incredible work that you're doing—not um, just in raising your own family uh, to be um, conscious of their kai and where it comes from, and um, and how do we how we live sustainably, but also the work that you're doing with other people's children and raising them to be good chefs. And good responsible humans uh, it is a beautiful thing that you do a wonderful gift that you give the world and keep up the great work, thanks for your time today
1: Thank you very much guys. Thank you Have yourself a merry little Christmas Let yourself our troubles will be miles away
3: And here we are In olden days Happy golden days of yore Faithful friends Who are dear to us Gather near to us once more
1: Through the years We'll all be together If the fate allows
4: Until then
1: We'll have
3: to muddle through Somehow
1: So have yourself A merry little Chris Must not to blowing Bubble, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic, which is brought to you by Tipu Kenga. we are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday Christmas afternoons Christmas. at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. We have a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This on, is Have on, Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Shaggy. I'm Samuel Manos, who is Bay Dunedin with Mawera Karatai in Whakatani, and we've been joined from Otago Polytechnic, Tipu by Tim Lynch. But that was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the
0: show. Marti This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.